Good morning. I just want to point out, Jacob Dolezal doesn't use his cell phone as an alarm clock, okay? He has an analog alarm clock. Who does that? <laughs> All right. I don't have anything else to say about that. <laughs> Mark made the point. All right, so we're going to talk about, well, I'm supposed to talk about discipleship and character. Um, Everyone in this series has been talking about discipleship and something, discipleship and character, discipleship and stewardship, whatever it will be. Um, people have been giving overall views, sure, but mostly narrowed, um, narrowed views. Dylan had some really good tidbits. He said that, you know, you're always discipling and you're always being discipled. That's never over, and that's true. Um, I'm going to try to do something a little different. I'm going to try to zoom out and give us uh, more of an overview picture of what discipleship is. I'm going to look at you know, Paul's words and mostly the world that he said those in and compare that to the world that we live in today. So when we think of discipleship, um, some of us might think of, okay, Jesus and his 12 disciples. We might think of that and that story, or we might think of like a teacher and a student, but normally that's kind of where it ends, right? We think of that. But it's, it's way more, it's way bigger than that. It is those things, but it's also way bigger. Um, discipleship, it can't really be cut out because it, it's baked into the cake of what we do. It's, it's all-encompassing. Um, you know, what, as a Christian, we're a part of the, the family of Christ. And what does that mean? It means, okay, we love one another. We love Christ. We come together. We live with one another. And we think about that in terms of, you know, just enjoying each other's time and doing all things for the glory of God. And that coming together, that doing life with one another is, or it either is or results in, it is the process of sanctification and discipleship. These two things come about because of one another. Um, let's see. So just think about that all-encompassing idea. Think about not just being the time between you and a mentor, but everything you do. You know, you're being discipled by Christ. You're being discipled by lots of people around you. And in different ways, you know, someone that's older than you or wiser or knows a particular skill or craft better than you might be discipling you in that area. And you might be discipling that same person in another area because it's not always as simple as, well, this one person is smarter than me, therefore he's discipling me. You know, think about this like Nathan in some ways is being discipled by some of you guys here. Okay, and you might think, okay, well, Nathan, that can't be true. He knows way more than me. No, there are plenty of areas. He's taking jujitsu right now. You know, that's a whole other thing he's encountering um, or at least learning about um, reengaging with, you know, more physical tenacity, physical obstacles, and how you have to have your mental and spiritual attributes in line to overcome those. And that's something different that you've probably re-engaging with in the last two years. And there are people that have been discipling you in that area. And as much of that is mental and spiritual as it is physical. So there are many ways we can disciple one another, even in one another, <laughs> as simple as it's not a plus or a minus game. Let's see. I want to look at Paul's world in which he views discipleship, because it's this universal picture of us living together, right? It's not just classroom time, but doing life with each other. What did that look like when Paul's writing about discipleship? When he's writing about, you know, his instructions in the New Testament, basically just instructions to the church on how to get along, how to live with one another. 
we have to understand that world. It's so different than ours today. You know, they actually needed community because they woke up every day and they said, okay, well, what do I have to do today to not go thirsty, to not go hungry, and to make sure I have a safe spot that's either warm or cold enough to sleep tonight? And these people couldn't do that alone unless they were extremely wealthy and even then they employed other people to help them. You know, we think of Abraham going out, and this is way before Paul's day even, but the world hadn't changed that much from Abraham to Paul, maybe geopolitically, but not technologically. Abraham didn't go out with just Sarah. He had a whole tribe with him. You know, he had hundreds of men went out with him. He couldn't be alone. So like when I'm thirsty, I get a cup of water, I walk to the fridge, I fill it up with water, and I drink it, and that's fine. When you were thirsty back then, I mean, you probably got a couple guys together or maybe a couple gals, and you would get buckets of water, and you go to a well where lots of other people were drawing water, and you'd bring it back for the day. Everything you did, you had to do with people. When you went to work, you know, they didn't have machines that built things for them that you just had to operate. People had to work with one another to make things. And it was just so baked into the cake. And it's, you know, Nathan made a great point when we were discussing this at one point, that it's pretty much baked out of the cake now. You know, we do everything together. How we get our money. Some of us work from home, and our only, you know, interaction with other humans is over the phone or over the computer. And, you know, we go to a grocery store, generally don't talk to anyone, and then we go home, and we probably live 30 miles away from our friends, 15, and we might see someone here. And that's so different compared to a day in a life then to a, a day in a life now. Um, now when we want to get together, you know, we have this meeting right here where we hang out and talk. Nathan speaks, then we maybe talk for 30 minutes and go home. Some of us might get lunch afterwards. But one, if we want to hang out, we have to make an event, right? So you got to come up with something because we're not just going to go to the well and draw water together or go work in the fields together. We're not going to do that because we don't have to. <laughs> so we have to come up with something. We've got to go bowling or we've got to invite someone over for dinner. So we got to pull out our calendars and then we've got to see, okay, you're free on Tuesday. Two days doesn't work for me. I've got my toothache appointment. I have an appointment to get a toothache <laughs> on Tuesday. No. Um, <laughs> an appointment to get one. That's what the dentist is like for me. I hate it. The cleaning is just an appointment to get a toothache. Anyway, that metal scrapey thing is the worst. That would, that's what hell would be for me. God would be like, you get to tooth cleaning every single day for eternity. Oh, gosh, that would be eternal conscious torment. Anyway. Um, anyway, so our schedules and collaborating, it's so hard. And when we do dinner, you know, you come over, we have dinner, we maybe talk for 30 minutes to an hour afterwards, and it's time to go home. That is so, I mean, they would just be, they would probably roll over in their graves if they knew about that. Somebody's grandma would if they knew about that in their culture, because their culture was, I mean, a stranger would show up at your door, and you wouldn't go, hey, what are you doing here? No, I don't want to buy anything. You'd be like, oh, do you need a place to sleep? Let me go prepare a bedroom for you. How many weeks would you like to stay here? They would literally keep people for weeks. You know, Abra um, Nathan talked about this last week with Abraham and Lot and the hospitality and how over the top he went with that, um, with offering up his daughters to protect these strangers in his house. That was sort of expected. That was the culture. And you can argue as to why. You know, maybe it was like the social flex, like maybe it was harder for people to pull up in a gold-plated Lamborghini to flex on people. Maybe they could be like, you know, I let strangers stay for three weeks at my house and I feed them. Maybe that was the the social flex back then, but either way, that was normal. And that's the world that Paul grew up in. So I point that out to say is um, discipleship and character. I could tell you that character is, you know, 
building one another up. When you're discipling one another, one another, you're teaching each other, and there's iron sharpening iron. And that's all true, but I think now, since our societies are so different, leaning into the machine, leaning into the family is, is harder. And I think that takes character, because iron only sharpens iron when it makes contact with iron. And back then, in Paul's world, they made way more interactions, way more contacts with each other throughout a given day than we do now, exponentially more. It was insane. You woke up and you were already in a room probably of 10 to 15 people when you woke up. I mean, families literally lived together, unless you were really wealthy. And that's crazy. I mean, we live, you know, 30 minutes to an hour away from one another. We have to wake up and we've got a plan to meet. They had to plan not to meet <laughs> if they wanted time alone. It's the complete opposite now. You know, it was weird if you didn't see anybody back then. So, you know, iron only sharpens iron when we make contact with one another. So how do we do that? How do we get to a spot where we're making more contact? We'll talk about that later. But I want to talk about one more thing, and it's, it's a good conversation start to ask yourself questions about how you view Scripture. Um, and it, you'll see how it relates to discipleship here in a second. But in 1 Corinthians 7.25, this is one of Paul's letters, I just want to point out that he offers his opinion. So that's important to see how we view Scripture here. And it's important to this passage, too. I'll just read it real quick. Paul says, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. So Paul openly offers his opinion here. He goes on to say that, you know, it's, it's better to be single than it is to be married. In his opinion. He says, it's not of the Lord, but it's my opinion. One, we need to question our view of Scripture when Paul is offering his opinion. There's an opinion in the text. What do we do with that? He openly says it. I mean, it's not conjecture. I'm not saying it. Paul said it. Paul said, this is not of the Lord. This is just my opinion. Not to say that it's not, you know, God-like or Christian or okay. He's just saying that this is my opinion. God didn't tell me this. He's basically saying, maybe don't take this as gospel. Um, And I think many of us do anyway, where it's taught to be taken as gospel. But he basically says it's better to be single than be married. And when you think about that in terms of the culture and the communal living that they had, I mean, I think it deserves a question. It deserves to be asked of. Um, Is it true still? Was it true then? All these are questions we should ask. I would argue that it's probably not better anymore. I think it probably used to be back when you used to wake up in a room full of 15 people and you had a million interactions every single day. And now you wake up in a room by yourself and you go to work and don't talk that many people and come home to an empty house and you're alone all the time. When generally when people want to get married, I think it's loneliness that genuinely drives them to that. People don't like being alone. I know I didn't. So I don't know. I don't know if that's true anymore, if it's true then. But it does go on to paint a cool picture because why does Paul say it's better to be single than to be married? Why does he say that? Well, he actually has discipleship in mind when he says that. You know, in Paul's view, Paul could make more disciples being single than to be married. You can think of that as children in a way because we're all children of God. And, you know, you can get married and have children that way. Or you can go and make disciples of Christ and make children that way, right? Bringing more people into the family of God, more children of God, you get the idea. And that was Paul's aim. Now, whether it's better to be single or married now, I don't know talk about it. (laughs) But how do we move into a place that 
more reflects communal living, more reflects the family of God, we have more interactions, because that's hard. I do think it's something that we need to get back to, and it's going to take character, because character can be built by people discipling one another. But I think since we are so individualistic, and no one can really see how much effort we're putting into spending time with one another, what our calendars are like, it takes a lot of character to just lean into this, to actually make plans with people. And I think it's more than making plans with people, because when I think of you know real bonds, um, family, or growing discipleship, sharpening iron, I think of people striving together after a singular goal. And having dinner with one another is great. That's awesome. You know, small groups are great. That's awesome. But I think there's something really cool and really great about striving together after a singular goal. And yeah, we're all striving together trying to, you know, worship Christ. We're all trying to live our life to his glory. But I think of events like, you know, your jujitsu on Monday nights. There's something special about people coming together and striving after a specific goal, just like they did then. You know, they go and work in the fields. They had the goals were, hey, let's not starve or go thirsty today. And that was really cool. I think we need to try to capture some of that. So you guys have at it. Figure out how to do it and do it. <laughs> I don't have clear-cut examples, but you know, things like jujitsu is great. Come up with other things that we can do that can just draw us closer to one another so we can have more contact, so we can be iron sharpening iron, so we can be a community that disciples one another and loves God, but we've got to get together in order to do that. So coming up with things to do is great, and it's something we should all work on.